Last week we got started on a new series called The Disciple Makers. And we discussed that the Great Commission of making disciples of Jesus is a top priority of the church. And in order to make disciples, there are three key things that Pastor Sam talked about that we need to be doing. Does anybody know the three M's? Does anybody remember the three M's? Model, mentor, multiply. That's right. We need to model a life lived for Christ. We need to mentor others on how to live for Christ. And in so doing these two things, we multiply our love and our service for Christ in others. Uh, so Pastor Sam also gave us uh, four things that we need to realize, and they all started, they all ended with eyes. Do y'all remember that? So uh, I don't have all the eyes, but I've reworded them. Uh, the five things are uh, that we need to realize as disciples of Jesus that we talked about last week are, number one, our old self has been put to death. Secondly, uh, God has an eternal plan to graft us into a special people called the church. Mobilize, I think, was that one. Euthanize, mobilize. Uh, God has given Jesus all authority and has deputized us with that same power in the Holy Spirit. And then the next one was globalize. God is sending us out to reach the world, reach the whole world. Uh, and then the last one was weaponize. God has empowered us by His Spirit. So tonight I'm going to take that first one, uh, that uh, as Christians, we have to realize that, that our old self uh, has to die, that our old self has to be put to death. And um, before we get into that, I'm going to go ahead and, and pray just one more time. Lord, Father, we, we ask for you to come and, and help us, Lord. God, we, we understand that uh, without you, without your spirit, Lord, that, that nothing's going to happen here, Lord. But Father, we, we thank you, Lord, that, that in this gathering, Lord, that in a gathering of believers, Lord, you are here, God. And so, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes, the eyes of our heart, Lord, to see. We pray that you would open our ears to hear, Lord. God, we pray that your spirit would make our heart, the soil of our heart, good, fertile ground, Lord, for your word to uh, come and take root and produce fruit, Lord. And Father, we, we pray that in Jesus' name, Lord, that, that you would uh, keep from our minds the, the, the worries of this world, Lord, that would, that would choke out the word, Father. We, we pray that, that we could focus on you during this time. God, I pray that that you would help me, God, to speak only your word. And Lord, that you would keep me from speaking anything that is not your word, Lord. We need your help, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, okay, I meant to read Galatians, the passage, before I started, but I'll go ahead and read it now. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, So I say... Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. This is New Living Translation if you're on a device where you can switch. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, 
which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So um, really, we're just going to kind of step through this passage Take it a couple of a verse or two at a time and see how this applies to um, our uh, the intrinsic part of the Christian life dying to self. And what does that mean and uh, what kind of implications does it have for us? So let's go back to verse 16 and I'll read it again. It says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So in this verse, there's two key players in our lives that are, that are mentioned. The first is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the divine trinity. He is God. He is the Father's power and agency in the world, distinguishable in thought from the Father's essence. And, and the Gospel of John tells us that he is the helper who glorifies Jesus in our lives. Then there's the second player that's mentioned. It's the sinful nature. Uh, many translations uh, call this the flesh. The Greek word for it, uh, it's, it's a very distinct word. It's the sarks. Uh, what that is, is it is the sinful nature uh, inside of us It is our human nature which makes decisions according to self. The sin nature acts apart from faith. And for Christians, the sin nature is the part of us uh, that has not yet been regenerated and made new by God. Uh, Though we are made new, though we are new creations in Christ, uh, we do understand that there is left inside of us in this life a part that God has not transformed, uh, and, and it acts apart from faith and apart from God. So Paul goes on in the text to describe the relationship between the spirit and the sin nature. So verse 17, 
says, The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And here's a key statement. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you see, you are not free to carry out your good intentions. So what we see here is that the sin nature craves or desires to motivate us to do evil. As stated before, the Spirit desires to motivate us to glorify Jesus. The Spirit and the sin nature have mutually exclusive wants, desires, purposes, however you want to put it. They are opposing one another. Uh, Paul says here that these two forces within us are constantly opposing or fighting each other. So this isn't something that is uh, every now and then or when we get weak or uh, in, a, in a low moment. This is a continual uh, and constant battle on the inside of Christians. Now, as believers, we have been given a new heart that desires to love God and obey God. Our eyes have been opened to what is good and what is true. However, Paul highlights that because the sinful nature remains in us, we are not free to do that which we know is right. There's a conflict. Now, it's very important to realize here that Paul does not say you are unable to do what you know is right. He says you are not free to carry out your good intentions. So while there is a battle, being Christians where the unbeliever... um always follows the desires of the flesh, which will oftentimes mask itself in various forms. It can mask itself in religion. It can mask itself in uh, what appears to be charity and good deeds. But the unbeliever has no option but to follow their flesh because their eyes have not been opened to see um, the glory of Christ and they haven't been changed by the Lord. But we are, we are now able to see that, but we have a conflict. It's not, we're not free to always do what we want. We are conflicted. So uh, I wrote down, I'm going to read this word for word. Uh, here is the internal reality of every believer. God has removed our spiritual blindness, given us eyes to see Jesus and his commandments as the way to life and joy, put a desire in us to obey him, and has given us His Holy Spirit to empower us to do these things. However, there is within us a real force that creates desires which are the opposite of the commands of Christ. The sin, this sin nature creates a spiritual friction that opposes our obedience to Jesus. And that's the reality. There is within us a spiritual friction that though we know what is right and though we understand that our greatest joy is found in following Christ and obeying His commandments, we have within us an opposition uh, that, that, that causes us to have to battle to do that and oftentimes causes us to fail to do that. So let's keep reading and see uh, what the sin nature motivates and persuades us to do. Verse 19 When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, 
lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's a pretty shocking statement at the end of verse 21. He says that anyone living a life of sin, in other words, a life motivated by the sin nature, is lost, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, is Paul saying here that if a believer sins, especially one of the sins listed in this list, is he saying that um, we're no longer believers? Is that what he's saying here? Well, the Bible is filled with scriptures like 1 Corinthians 1, 7 through 9, which would say contrary to that. And we understand that the best way to understand somewhat difficult passages in the Bible is to see what other passages in the Bible have to say about that. So let me read you 1 Corinthians 1, 7 through 9. It says, now, and speaking to Christians, now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. He will keep us. Saying he will keep Christians strong until the end. Uh, and, and the purpose of that is, is so that when we stand before God in Christ, we'll be justified. We'll still be in Christ. Uh, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, we understand biblically that Jesus will keep every believing Christian such that we will continue in our belief unto salvation. So, that, looking at that scripture and many other scriptures, that's obviously not what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying that if Christians sin, because we understand that Christians sin, right? If Christians sin, that doesn't mean that we're no longer believers, but he's saying something else. Um, first, let's look back at verse 18, which I skipped over, and I skipped over it for a reason. So 5.18, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Now, when I first read this verse um, in the passage, it seemed a little bit out of place to me, and it made it you too. Um, you know, we're kind of reading about the Spirit and the sin nature, and, uh, you know, we go down and then it talks about what the Spirit does and, and, and how we fight sin in the Spirit. And then in the middle here is this passage, or this verse that, you know, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. So, um, 
We understand that all Scripture is God-inspired, right? All Scripture is inspired by God. Nothing is in the Bible on accident. So when we come across a verse that looks a little bit out of place or doesn't quite make sense to us, we need to stop and we need to ask, why is that here? What is the purpose of it? So let's ask the question. Um, first off, to be directed, it says, he says, um, but when you are directed by the Spirit, so to be directed is to be managed or governed by. So Paul is saying that to be managed or governed by the Holy Spirit means that we are not under obligation to the law. So what does that mean? What does it mean to not be under obligation to the law? What's he trying to say here? Well, like I said a while ago, and like, uh, I don't know, were you guys here for any of the uh, 40 Days in the Word with Rick Warren study that we did? Uh, Rick Warren said that uh, the best commentary on the Bible is, anybody remember? The Bible. Yeah, somebody in the back got it. Uh, so, uh, again, let, what we do here is we go and we look. If we're looking for what under law means, then we go look for other places in the Bible where under law is used. And one of those places, in fact, I, I think, side note, I think there's only four places in the New Testament that this phrase under law is used. One of them, uh, three of them I think is in Galatians. Uh, one of them is in Romans uh, chapter 6 verse 13 through 14 and it says this, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. And here it comes in verse 14. Sin is no longer your master, for you are no longer, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law, under the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So we see here, uh, this kind of explains it more. Uh, not to be under obligation to the law means that we are now under God's grace. To be under the law means that law-keeping is the way that I provide a righteousness that lets me stand before God. Uh, if we're under law, our law-keeping is what justifies us. Now, the Bible teaches that this is a very hopeless situation because it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says that if we break even one of God's commandments, one piece of his law, then we become accountable for it all. And, and we understand from Scripture that there is no one who has kept God's law. In fact, we understand that we daily break God's law in thought, in word, and in deed. So, that is a bad place to be under law. Uh, and, and because of uh, breaking God's law and being in violation of His holiness, that puts us under God's wrath. That's a bad place to be if law-keeping is our justification. However, to be under God's grace means that we have freely been given His special favor which is salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. 
we receive as a gift all our righteousness, namely the righteousness of Christ, by grace as the grounds of our justification. So, we've got these two things. He says, he basically is saying, if you're not under here, then you are now under here. Not under law means that you are now under grace. So when Paul says in Galatians 5.18 that we are not under law, he is essentially saying that we are believers in Jesus, now under God's grace. That makes sense? Um, now the first half of 5.18 says that when we are directed by the Spirit, we are not under law, which, mean, which we just saw means that we are now under grace, which means that we are born again, Christians who have been saved uh, by grace through faith. So we can equate in the biblical context not being under law to being saved, to being a Christian. So being directed or managed or governed by the Holy Spirit then is a distinctive feature of a Christian. Let me put it another way. If you are a Christian, you will be directed by the Holy Spirit. And put yet another way, being directed by the Holy Spirit is a proof that we are Christians. Okay, That's what he's doing here. He is equating the leading of the Holy Spirit to a distinctive feature of Christians. Uh, so... Now back to the shocking statement in 521 that those who live a life centered on the sinful desires of the flesh will not inherit God's kingdom. This kind of shines a little bit of light in the context on that statement. Uh, this does not mean that Christians will never sin. What it does mean is that a distinctive feature of the life of a Christian is to fight against sin because we have the Holy Spirit leading us on the inside. And it creates this friction. It creates this conflict uh, where, where there is a, where, where unbelievers follow their sin, they give in to their sin, believers fight sin. Uh, let me read you another verse, two verses actually, one from this passage and one uh, from Romans. Galatians 5.24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus. Who belongs to Christ Jesus? Christians, right? Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Now, in Romans chapter 8, verse 12 through 14, he says basically the same thing another way. Uh, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live... Now listen, this mirrors verse 21. Remember, anyone who lives that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now he's talking about obeying your sinful nature. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. Now here's, here's the mirror to verse 24, fighting sin. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God 
are the children of God. Now for all who are led by the Spirit of God to do what are children of God? For all who are led by the Spirit of God to to put to death the sinful nature are the children of God. So fighting sin, uh, I've heard somebody say, all who are called into mortal combat with the flesh prove themselves to be children of God. Um, So in other words, fighting sin is a distinct feature of a believer. Now here's a hard truth. Those who say that they are believers but continue in a life of sin and never fight to kill that sin in their lives, those are the ones who biblically should be worried about not inheriting the kingdom. Uh, those are the ones, and, and you know, it, it's said over and over again in Scripture, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. Uh, John in 1 John said that, um, that, that, that these people left their church because they weren't one of us. If they were one of us, then they would not have left. And so over and over again, we see that, that um, people who produce the fruit of the Spirit, that is the proof, the leading of the Spirit is the proof of a believer and and as as um, Paul says here, those who live continually following after the sinful nature, these are the ones who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what he's saying here is, is that believers are led by the Spirit. So, um, now that that's cleared up, what does it mean to fight sin? Uh, let's continue reading. Verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So here, Paul lists those things which the Spirit produces in our lives. He then reiterates again that if you are a Christian, you will be about the business of killing sin. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ crucify the flesh. So here's a practical way that we as believers are to fight sin. Application moment. Um, in moments in life where we are motivated by our sin nature to sin, we have to be knowledgeable enough about what the Word says and self-aware enough to know that sin is sin. Um, and in that moment... We remove ourselves from the situation if necessary or possible. We stop and we pray for the Holy Spirit's help. Now, this is where uh, many of us, where I can say I fail so often, is to is to step out of the flesh and stop and ask for the Spirit's help. Stop and ask God to help me in this moment because in our in ourselves. In our own selves, we will lose. 
we will sin over and over and over again. So we have to be self-aware enough to recognize, okay, this is a temptation. This is a sinful situation. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the Spirit to come and overcome my flesh. It doesn't say, the Word doesn't say that we put to death the flesh. It says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we put to death the flesh. Uh, so in that moment, we, we stop. We ask for the Holy Spirit's help to produce the fruit of the Spirit rather than the acts of the sinful nature. So let me give you an example. Probably my primary struggle is anger. Um, I, I, I let things get under my skin, and it produces not the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> and, and so it, and, and, but we all deal with different things at different times. I'm going to use anger as an example. So say I, come, I become angry with someone, and my sin nature is motiv- motivating me to those things, some of those things that were listed as the, the results of the, of the flesh. Uh, hostility, quarreling, angry speech. So here I am in the moment, and instead of feeding the fire, instead of just starting thinking, oh gosh, I hate her, him, or all oh, that, I just... You know, and, and feeding the fire and standing in the flesh, uh, I remove myself either mentally, if I can't physically remove myself, I remove myself mentally or uh, physically if possible. Sometimes physically removing yourself from the situation is a very good idea. Uh, it is a marriage tactic that we use often, and it works, right? Uh, and so we remove ourselves from... Uh, the situation, I say often, not often. <laughs> uh, we remove ourselves from the situation and we go and we pray. And, and I found that in the list of, uh, the results of the flesh, there are exactly opposites listed in the fruits of the spirit. Uh, and so if my sin nature is motivating me to hostility, quarreling, and angry speech. And I pray, God, help me to walk in love. Give me peace. Give me patience. Give me kindness, Lord. Give me self-control in this moment, Lord. Produce in me the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Produce that in my life. And, and this may be just on the inside and you may be getting waylaid on the outside by words or, or whatever. But, but we have to be self-aware where we can, we can stop and we can ask for the Holy Spirit's help. Ask for Him to produce these things inside of us. And here's the key. Because if you try to react right in your own power again, we're gonna fail again and again and again and again and again. It's going to happen every single time when we try to react the right way or, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, uh, take the high road or whatever. Um, it's not in our power. It's not. So here's the key. After we've stopped and we prayed, then by the power of God's spirit, I react with the fruit of the spirit rather than the motivations of the flesh. And here's a key. On the inside, you're not going to be 
dancing and frolicking and saying, oh, the fruits of the Spirit, oh, the fruits of the Spirit. That's not the way life is. On the inside, you are going to want to retaliate. You are going to want to react in the flesh. I say you, we are going to want to react in the flesh. There is no, uh, there is no, uh, fields and, and, and unicorns and rainbows on the inside whenever these things are happening. Let's be realistic with ourselves. That's why it's hard. That's why it's difficult. So, but despite the strong desire to retaliate in the sinful nature, we act according to the Spirit. By His power working through us, we, we react in the Holy Spirit. That's why it's called dying to self. Because that is, that is crucifying your flesh. It's when the flesh is telling you to react one way, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you walk in the fruit of the Spirit. That is dying to self. That is putting to death the flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is crucifying the flesh on the cross. That's how we practically do that. It's not easy, but it is a distinctive characteristic of believers. So let me close. Um, this was pretty short. We'll get out early tonight. Uh, let me close with an encouragement to you all. Um, because this is hard, right? And we fail all the time, right? If, I, if we were all honest, probably everybody in here has failed today. Probably. Uh, pretty good bet. And so uh, this is hard. But, but let me encourage you with this verse. I encourage you to write this down. I encourage you to memorize it. I encourage you to put it on your computer at work and put it somewhere where you can see it at home and uh, most importantly, have it in your heart. Uh, Philippians 2.12. Work hard. This is the second half of, of 2.12. may go into 13. I'm not sure. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. So you hear that. He said, it's hard work to obey God. That's what I've been saying, right? Work hard. But here's the key. This is a promise to Christians. It's a promise. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So it doesn't say work hard, and if you work hard enough, you'll get it. You know, you'll you'll succeed, you'll win. It says work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God in deep fear and reverence, because it's not you. It is God working in you, giving you, giving you. It's a gift. It's a grace. It's not something that we work up in ourselves or that we, uh, one day after being a Christian for 10 years, we just get it. It's not like that. It's a grace, for it is God working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. And that's a distinctive of every believer. So, uh, for all who are believers in Jesus, the sovereign Lord of the universe will give us the power and the desire to do that which is pleasing to Him. And as Christians, our job is to work hard. Our job is to pray that the Lord 
would do that work in our lives. Our job is to preemptively pray, Holy Spirit, uh, fill me afresh today. Lead me in your spirit, produce in me the fruit of the Holy Spirit today. So let's pray. Lord, God, we thank you for your word, Lord. God, we thank you that it is powerful, that it is alive, that it does not return void, Lord. Father, I pray uh, against those in your parable, Lord, who you predicted that, that, that the word comes down and is quickly stolen away by the enemy, Lord. Father, I pray that you would protect this word in our hearts, God. Father, I pray against those in the parable, Lord, who, who you say the word quickly takes root and springs up, and then it's quickly withered because it, its roots do not go down deep. Lord, I pray that this word tonight would take deep root in our hearts, Father. And Lord, I pray that it would produce much fruit on the inside of us, Lord. And God, I thank you, Father, that practically in our lives, Father, that you are leading us into mortal combat with the flesh, Lord. And Father God, that in the denying of ourselves, Lord God, and in the following of your spirit and in the production of the fruit that follows, Lord, I pray, Father, that we uh, would put to death our flesh daily, Lord. God, we thank you, Lord, that it is not in our power, but it is in a daily, hourly, minute by minute, moment by moment, trusting in the Holy Spirit that these things come to fruition in our lives, Lord. So, Father, we just pray right now that that you would humble us, Lord, Father God, that you would take away any pride in our lives that would make us think that we are independent or self-sufficient, Lord. That you would take away any thoughts, Lord, that, that there is anything good in us, Lord. Father, help us to realize that we are sinners, saved by grace, sustained by your power, walking moment by moment, only in victory by the power of your Holy Spirit, God. Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.